0: Now, more than ever, the great people of Tennessee are frustrated with the current direction we're headed as a state and as a country. We, the people, need to take a stand together, not simply as individuals, but as a force of nature in order to protect individual liberty. On this show, you'll hear from three voices who lead an organization called Tennessee Stands. Myself, John Fender, the Director of Communications, Gary Humble, the Executive Director, and Kevin Kukaji, the Chairman of the Board. We'll sit down with politicians, business leaders, community organizers, and citizens just like yourself to discuss the ideas, action points, and strategies needed to boldly take a stand and assert the unalienable rights given to us naturally by God. Welcome to the Freedom Matters Podcast. Well, we all came back.
1: It's that's episode a, two. That's a plus. Yeah, that gets me all pumped up to be here. Yeah, do
0: you it's like a that?
2: Great intro. John. First
0: time we recorded, we didn't we didn't hear the intro. Yeah, so, there you go. You ready to take? I on, got a pep in my step. Take now. Take on the world now, right? <clears throat> yep. The
2: real question is, did anyone else come back?
0: I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out. We'll the find analytics out. will tell us yeah. whether or not people are actually listening. I, uh, to be absolutely honest, I didn't actually prepare for the, this this week. But uh, Kevin did spontaneity can help. Yeah, I didn't prepare. No, you, you, you threw out some good ideas, but we did. We did uh, our illustrious social media team yeah. put out the word on on all of our social channels to ask people what they wanted to hear us talk about. We got a ton of response and a lot of good stuff, but we had a couple common themes between all of it, and two of those we'll talk about today. The first of which is still pertains to kind of what we were talking about last week the OSHA ruling stuff. <laughs> ruling. That sounds weird to say because it's not a ruling, but um, OSHA controversial mandate stuff. But specifically for the state of Tennessee because Tennessee is one of how many states? Are we the only state that has <laughs> that a centralized... Uh, uh, that has a state plan for OSHA. A state OSHA. OSHA of our own.
2: There there are... The, the metric I use is there are 22 states that operate on a fully approved state plan by which that state OSHA entity manages workplace safety for both the public and the private sector, because there are some states that have a fully approved state plan, but it's only for the private sector, or uh-huh. it's only for the, so Tennessee is one of the 22 states that it's just, it's the whole bag. So if if OSHA wants to make a, a federal requirement for that to be applicable in the state of Tennessee, it must go through TOSHA. TOSHA is a, a fully approved, now there are there are some some um you know requirements placed on Tosha in terms of federal compliance but nonetheless uh yes Tennessee is has a fully enacted state plan with its own authority.
0: So what does that look like? What's the relationship between the two? I mean you just mentioned that there are some federal <clears throat> guidelines there for for Tosha but like if OSHA has this plan in place, how does Tosha legally have to respond to that?
2: Well, let me not consider myself an expert in workplace law, right? And, okay. and to, but but I'll, I'll tell you what I know with certainty. What we're dealing with right now is uh, an ETS, an emergency temporary standard that's been issued by OSHA concerning COVID response. One thing to note on an ETS is that they can last no longer than 60 days. So, Mm -hmm. for everyone pretending that this is some big permanent, you know, new OSHA requirement, it's not. An ETS cannot go beyond 60 days, number one. Number two, a state plan like TOSHA then has 30 days from the time that regulation is enacted to enact its own version, if it wants to change it, of that regulation. And the requirements on the state plan is that they enact either enact the rule as is or they enact a rule that is, quote, at least as effective hmm. as the rule. Okay. So the what I put out yesterday, the the interesting thing that we've seen is that Iowa is another state similar to ours that has a state plan. They have chosen to stand up to on, Joe Biden.
0: Before we go any further, that, how do you pronounce that one? Is that IOSHA?
2: Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I guess this one is Tosha, right? You're right. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, could be. So they've chosen to stand up to the Biden administration and by and, and the governor even made a statement uh, and by and their commission, their their labor uh, commissioner, um, pretty strong uh, person that said, hey, look, and I, I need to go back and read it. But I think what they've done is is like, look, we understand that a requirement for a vaccine and a mask probably is not going to have any impact on our workplace whatsoever in terms of safety. So if the goal of the rule, which it is, is to mitigate risks for COVID, mm-hmm. then we're going to make our own rule, but we're not going to have the same requirements. But we're going to consider it at least at least as effective as your rule because we consider your rule ineffective. Mm. Right? that That's sort of what they're doing.
0: And this is Iowa that's saying this?
2: This is Iowa. Okay. Well, this is Iowa that's saying that we're making our own rule. Right. We're we're But we're following the at least as effective mantra. And we're not requiring vaccines because we don't do that here in Iowa.
0: Because they see it as OSHA's rule not being effective. So theirs is at least as effective. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I see what they did there. Yeah, you see that? Yeah.
2: And we could do the same thing. Good. If you want to stand up. There's a way to do that. Hmm. So, Gary, what is our state doing? What is the state of Tennessee doing? So we just heard today we got confirmation. So we we sent on an e-blast. Um, our folks have been blasting the governor's office and Department of Labor Commissioner Jeff McCord's office with emails all day today. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome. That's our fault. <laughs> By the way, when this runs, though, that will be... A week hence. That's right. That's right. Um, yes, yeah, I, I say today, at the day we're recording this, which you'll be hearing this later. And we the response, We of course, people are sending us the responses mm-hmm. they're getting. Uh, I also got a call from uh, one of our state senators today who's on our team and uh, is on the Government Operations Committee, who is the, the committee that oversees and approves rules being promulgated by TOSHA. He had no knowledge that TOSHA... Uh, which, which, so I was right because I hadn't seen anything come on. So Tosha has not uh, enacted its own rule yet as of the time of this <clears> recording. <throat> but the response they've given to people is that they are going to submit to OSHA's authority. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so
1: what's the point? What's the point of Tosha? Right. What? If if all you're going to do is no kidding. submit
2: to OSHA, right. why not just remove the T and call yourself OSHA. Why Mm -hmm. not? Why not be like the twenty three other states? Well, so that was going to be one of my questions:
0: is why Why would the those of us twenty two states that have our own state version of OSHA? Why do we have it? What's the what? What was the original intent?
2: Well, I think part of it is that you know, in, in terms of being, because the state has has then the freedom to regulate, you know, labor and workplace safety beyond OSHA. I guess. Right. So
0: to take what OSHA does and then extend it further based on circumstances or environment of the state.
2: Yeah. So if you wanna if you want a tyrant harder. Right. (laughs) I I guess you can.
1: If you want to regulate
0: by agency harder.
1: (laughs) But obviously not. Because I think that would give Tennessee an excuse to say, see, by our taking our hands off the wheel, we're not regulating harder. But as we see in Iowa, they actually used it Mm -hmm. for the protection of liberty. And the and the pushback against any more federal overreach.
2: Yep. Mm. So that's that's where we are right now, today. It's confusing as Wait, all I, of that
1: is. Go back. Did you say that the response that came today
2: was that they were not going to do anything other than... then what TOSHA was requiring. That's right. Sorry. Then, then what OSHA, the OSHA was, was requiring. requiring. That's right. <clears throat> okay. okay. TOSHA's response was, we're going to keep the status quo.
0: But that doesn't go into effect until 30 days from the date that... The OSHA – so the 10th, right, is when OSHA's was supposed to go into
2: effect. Right. So in the most technical – see, and here's the other caveat. In the most technical sense, a state plan has 30 days to enact a new OSHA regulation. If it doesn't, by default, that OSHA regulation is adopted.
0: Oh, okay.
2: But 30 days hasn't passed. Mm-hmm. But all these corporations in Tennessee are complying mm-hmm. with – the OSHA mandate. Well, guess what? We don't have an OSHA. Technically, I would say, if you just follow the black letters, the, the the rule of the law, we don't have that OSHA mandate yet here in Tennessee because we've not promulgated it ourselves. Well,
0: for that matter, 22 states don't have that. That's right. Yeah.
2: That's right. Because either they've not promulgated the rule themselves or their own rule or by default, that 30-day mark hasn't passed yet. Okay.
1: So as to the practical effect, Gary, you mentioned corporations in Tennessee. What are they doing right now and what are you hearing on the street?
2: So some – some double,
0: double that question. What are they doing? What should they be doing?
2: Yeah. Most of the corporations, uh, you know, the, the national corporations, uh, like Publix and Kroger, who have made very public announcements about what they're going to do um, here in the state – most of them are following uh, strictly the OSHA guidelines. So they're they're requiring proof of vaccination for employees. If the employees refuse to give uh, proof of vaccination, then they're required to be masked, uh, socially distanced, and um, and test. I don't remember if it's if it's weekly or not, but but let's just say for I think typically it's weekly. But let's just say to test regularly. Mm-hmm. That's the requirement, and that's that's the requirement that they're putting um, on their employees. the 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 trick is that. While they're complying, quote unquote, with the OSHA regulation, which is unconstitutional, and I hope that's the way the Supreme Court sees it, they're not complying with state law. State law expressly says that based on a vaccination status, you cannot take adverse action against an employee. You cannot treat them differently. You cannot, you know, if an employer in the state of Tennessee wants to mask everyone. If they want to make everyone work remotely, if they want to require everyone to test, state law would allow them to do so. But if they want to do that to only unvaccinated employees or only employees who refuse to show a proof of vaccination, according to Title 14 in Tennessee law, that is an adverse action Mm -hmm. that is illegal. Um, So like we said last episode, look. Your your large global corporations they're gonna they they want a tyrant they want to do this thing they want to follow their their globalist agenda whatever they're overlords they're gonna hang their hat on the OSHA rule okay your your smaller private Tennessee owned businesses family owned businesses folks that just like aren't gonna aren't gonna do this they're gonna hang their hat on Title 14 mm-hmm. and that's just where we are right now until we hear from the Supreme Court but
1: even then if the Supreme Court rules incorrectly vis a vis our liberties and the Constitution. I mean, it's you all. I know you don't think this, but I think it's a it's a question worth delving into. We are not waiting for the Supreme Court, and we shouldn't wait for the Supreme Court if our liberties are at stake. In other words, we don't allow the Supreme Court to define our liberties, do we?
2: Well, no. And and Kevin, this you know, I'd love to hear you now sort of take this and speak to it because. Here's where we're gonna get to. Let's just say, and maybe by the time this episode airs the Supreme Court will have done something. I who knows? Who knows? Well, we don't know if this is gonna be weeks or months. But let's just say the Supreme Court fails to hold the line and they expand federal power and they don't grant a stay. And so for the Supreme Court, this OSHA requirement is now valid. And as TOSHA has submitted already to the public, they're gonna comply. They're gonna they're gonna keep the status, the OSHA status quo. Okay. Well, what do we do then? Does that mean that we just give up? Does that mean that, okay, well, Tennessee is bowing to the federal government. That's just the way it is here in Tennessee. In Tennessee, we're going to ignore state law, okay? Uh, We're going to follow unconstitutional mandates from the bench, um, and we're just going to pretend that our liberties don't matter anymore, and we're going to comply. So, oh, well, I guess we lose. You know, that's (laughs) – That's where I want to hand it off to you, Kevin, because we were having a conversation about, look, at the end of the day, this isn't about whether or not the court feels that we deserve constitutionally secured liberties here in the state of Tennessee. We make that decision. And so what do we do now? What do we do in that case? And I think the answer to that question always goes
1: back to the fundamentals, right? Where do our rights come from? Our rights come from God. They don't come from the government. Therefore, everything that the government does must be consistent with those God-given rights. The the governments, as the Declaration says, are instituted to secure those rights, and the government derives its just powers from the consent of the governed. Therefore, when a government acts in contravention of those rights, it puts us in a position of having a choice. Do we comply? And, and when I say government, I'm speaking broadly, whether it's the judiciary, the legislature, and executive... Mm-hmm and any kind of governmental structure that overreaches, then people are faced with a decision. Do we comply with that decision or do we disobey? And we talked a little bit earlier um, outside this, these walls about how frequently we get um, a lot of questions, and I deal with this recurringly, and I know Gary said he does, does as well, a lot of people are exasperated about what to do. What to do, for example, when their employer is clearly violating federal law, state law, and the law of humanity and our rights coming from God, um, ignoring religious exemptions, ignoring all all kind of kind of human decency and just treatment of people. Um, and I've, I'm sure you've read these letters. I've read letters from employers, and you would think that we were living in the Soviet Union, you know, circa 1970s. the The question comes down to we, we can recommend all day long what to expect, but I am, I've i been advising people for the last two years not to expect your government to do what it was founded to do here in America. And I think this is this is very difficult for people because they want—they have given so much of their good faith to the government in America because it really is and was the last bastion of freedom in the world— and when the American structure of government begins to dissolve and, be, and become totalitarian, people are honestly perplexed and flummoxed. What do I do when my government tells me to do something that I know is wrong? Well, at this point, I've been discouraged by the response of people that would call themselves freedom lovers and those who would say, you know, I, I disobey tyrants. But when it comes down to it, oh, well, I would lose my current job or oh, I couldn't send my kids to this prestigious university, or oh, I couldn't be involved in, and you name it, and you go on the list. Suddenly, it becomes apparent that, well, you say that you're for freedom, and yet at the end of the day, you're willing to give up your freedom, which, by the way, means our freedoms as well. You're willing to surrender your freedom and to consign us to the same misery because you didn't want to give up all of those, what I call the collateral benefits of liberty. Well, you're going to lose them anyway. If you seek to preserve only the collateral benefits, it's like I—I I, may have given this example last week, but it's kind of like the goose that lays the golden egg, right? You get rid of the goose in order to keep the egg, or you get rid of the all the fuel source in order to keep the car with the fancy leather seats and this you know high priced stereo. It's it's meaningless and it's pointless. But because it takes time for those liberties to to disappear. People are willing to let it be sliced off. Kind of, oh, That's what we talked about last week, This mm-hmm. slicing off a of Subway meat. I always think of if you're at Subway or Jersey Mike's and there's, there's meat carvers and they slice off very thin slices, nobody cares because they pick up the rest of the meat and they put it back in the refrigerator. It's still there. If they sliced off 90% of it, people become aware, whoa, we don't have any left. We've got to mm-hmm. go to the store. This is what has been happening. People are willing to surrender and they don't have that fighting spirit. And let me add one more thing before opening it back up to discussion. I think we have to train ourselves as those in totalitarian regimes have historically done as far as their resistance. We don't have – I have a friend who moved here from another country about 20 years ago, and he said – what. and he loves America, and he's an American citizen now. And he said what astonished his family when they moved to America was how compliant Americans were with their government. We have fallen into this sense of equating government with God and believing that government can do no wrong. So when faced with government that clearly is taking a position against human liberty and against all order, people have a hard time saying, oh, I should resist that. And they think, oh, well, I should go along with that. Well, that's the clearest and cleanest and quickest way to lose liberty. And I think that's our biggest risk right now is people are not willing, able— and it involves an entirely different orientation, right? You you have to reorient your thinking. Now we live in a society where the law is disregarded. What do we do?
0: Well, reorienting reorienting your way of thought plays to or it goes back to. I mean, okay, so I've start I've really gotten into this in this new television series called 1883. I don't know if you guys have watched it yet. Mm-hmm. Yellowstone. Oh yeah, is the big that's right. And then this is like. The prequel to Yellowstone is 1883, and it takes place in 1883. And it's it's literally I don't know if you ever played the Oregon Trail before, but it's that's kind of what this is. It's like they're moving they're moving a collection of immigrants from Texas up to Oregon. And the one thing I keep getting from this show is that over the last what 150 200 years, as our country has progressed, I think our whole as a society, our whole mind has been reoriented to comfort.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Just in, I mean, this is a whole slew of things. Excess, just modern civilization evolving into comfort. Everything revolves around living a more comfortable life. Well, in 1883, there wasn't anything comfortable about that life right. at all. So, what I keep coming back, I'm, I'm trying to iterate this as best as I can mm-hmm. with words, but they didn't understand the level of comfort we understand now. So, fighting. And being uncomfortable fighting something wasn't uncomfortable for them. It just was life. Right. Now, to experience the least little bit of uncomfortableness is like horrifying to people.
1: Yes. They... And it
0: wasn't back then. So they would just like, that's the key. It, they just fought because fighting was part of life. You fought everything, you fought death constantly.
1: Yeah. And so we live in a society that has harbored this illusion one, that we can live forever in a temporal sense, right? And so anything that society can do to extend that life, to make it more comfortable, our physical existence, that becomes the highest priority. And so we will surrender all of the important things that made that happen in the first place. That's why I always use the words liberty and the collateral benefits of liberty. We've completely abandoned liberty thinking that we can still hang on to Mm. all of these creature comforts. Which will disappear because we have undermined and abandoned liberty. And um, no, John, I think it's exactly what's happened.
0: And we, I, don't, I don't say that to say you know I don't like comfort. Obviously, I enjoy the comforts of modern society and modern technology. But
1: but you're prioritizing, and that's what that's what's necessary, right? We wouldn't we would never say, oh, I want to sacrifice and be uncomfortable. I want to give up my job. I want to be fired. I want to. Um, be maligned by society and and discriminated against, and I don't need it. We're not saying any of those things. Mm-hmm. Food and clothing and life, we fight for those things, but they will cease to exist if we abandon the basis of that. Mm-hmm. And and it's, it's folly to think that we can just go after those collateral benefits without the source. We're depriving the source of it, and it is. It's a sense of priorities. Those things... I, who doesn't want to be comfortable? It's, it's a longing for heaven that will never exist here. Right. Um, but what we're willing to exchange for is folly.
2: Well, and it's and it's relative. Uh, it's relative, and it's nothing new. I mean, consider. 1776, yeah. I mean, you had a group of people, the Tories and the Patriots, and you had a group of people that even though they, did, they didn't have the comforts we have today, they didn't want to lose what they had. Mm-hmm. The 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 Patriots, the group of people that were actually willing to go against the establishment of the day, that number was fairly small, you know, comparative to the folks that were just willing to say, hey, well, my kid won't get an education. I, I'm going to lose my house. They're going to kill me. They're going to, you know, whatever it, the, the risk was. You had significantly more people that weren't willing to take the risk of losing the little that they had, right? So it, it's it's the same thing. It's the same symptom. This is nothing new. And that's what we cannot get people to see, give them the foresight to see that this, this – what you're trying to hold on to right now while it seems great, it can all be forfeited, right? It can all go – and I love the way that you – that you stated that kevin the um the,
1: the what, collateral the benefits collateral of
2: benefits of liberty that's what we're enjoying right now it's look we're in, we're in a we're in a dangerous place literally i I do believe we we are i've heard this before you, you see the seventeen seventy six shirts mm-hmm. but we we are at another point in American history where where people really need to make a decision about what does liberty mean to me, how much am I willing to give up? For the comfort that I have right now, am I risking losing the comfort that I have right now if I don't stand up and look? We don't talk about this enough. Am I giving up the potential to enjoy these comforts? Am I giving that up for my children? Mm-hmm. Am, am I am I am I selling my children down the river?
0: And that's that's a decision people are going to be slapped in the face with if the Supreme Court rules opposite of what we want them to rule.
2: Yeah.
1: Very By the quickly, way. It, I have something to say on that, but I wanted to add one more piece of evidence with how when we talk about how people are tied into the creature comforts, I don't know if you saw over Christmas this year, sometime between Christmas and New Year's, a story came out about how the United States Navy had abandoned a mission, pulled a whole ship out of its mission to protect and defend the nation because, wait for it, COVID, Mm -hmm. right? So here, sailors had come down with a cold, right? By the way, fully jab, fully shot, boosted sailors. Of course. And the United States Navy sends a signal to the world that we are afraid of catching a cold. It's too dangerous to carry out our mission to defend the nation. Can you imagine? Think, think of Valley Forge. Mm-hmm. Think of Washington crossing the Delaware. They all had colds. <laughs> they all had colds. and they really had no, bad ones. <laughs> and they had no shoes, right? Guys had cloths. <clears throat> Wrapped around their feet, and they're sitting in three feet of snow and freezing temperatures, because they were fighting for principle, and they were fighting for their future and their families and those who would come after them. And now we have soldiers charged with defending our nation who are afraid of getting a
2: cold. Mm. I mean, consider man, that's that's huge. Consider the the soldiers at Valley Forge. I mean, they forget the battle. They, in the conditions, they all knew that there were going to be some of them that were not going to make it on the journey, just period. To the battle. Yeah, forget bullets. That's exactly right.
1: (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So what I was going to say, though, is we must encourage one another to resist. Resistance can't be done alone. They will target an individual and and attempt to ruin an individual's lives, and nobody can do that on his own. Or it takes a very unique person— but there is strength in numbers, and that's what I have encouraged so many people who have, who have come to me with a problem that cannot be resolved through the courts, cannot be resolved through legislature. The representatives won't listen to them. Their governor won't listen to them. The judge has turned them down. What do they do? And my response is you must resist, but don't do it alone. There are millions, and don't let anybody tell you there are not, there are millions of people who share our views on this. They're just being silenced into submission. They're being scared. But And it doesn't take the whole country, right? If 10% of the workforce in any particular industry abandoned their jobs and said, I'm not doing it. Well, we've seen it even happen in the healthcare industry. You have to band together and resist. Um, that's the only way, it's the only power we have, but it is the principal power we have. And it's always been the power that we have. That's mm-hmm. Our republic was founded on the fact that our rights come from God. They go through the people and the government derives its rights from the people. Uh, And we need to return to that.
0: And according to the Tennessee state constitution, you're an idiot if you don't. That's
2: right. Article one, section two.
0: Yeah. Uh, This is, I have one question. I don't want to beat a dead horse on this, but I have one question before we move on. And it's sort of somewhat related, but I get this question a lot from people. If, and this kind of applies to the whole OSHA, TOSHA thing, state regulations, versus federal regulations, if a corporation, a large corporation, like worldwide, nationwide corporation, comes in and does business in Tennessee, opens stores in Tennessee, how does that, like, corporations, based? let's just say their headquarters are in LA, but they've opened six stores here in Tennessee. How does that work with federal regulations and then state regulations for that organization, hmm. particularly?
2: So in Tennessee, they don't have to have a brick and mortar presence in Tennessee. If if they have full-time employees in the state in a full-time fashion residing, you know, permanently, a permanent resident of the state enacting business in the state of Tennessee, uh, they've created what's called Nexus in the state of Tennessee. Hmm. And by creating Nexus for those Tennessee employees, uh, that company, no matter where it's based, is required to follow Tennessee law as it concerns those Tennessee employees.
0: Interesting. Because my wife actually worked for a company that was based out of L.A., mm-hmm. but was had an office here. And they went, all of their, like, maternity leave and all that kind of stuff was based on California law. So how does that, I mean, are they... Can they do that? And if they can, how do they? How does that
2: work between two states? Well, well, as long as providing benefits based on California law does not break Tennessee law, and it
0: meets Tennessee's expectations
2: or yeah. goes above, yeah, you can that's always right. go above and beyond. Okay, all right. that's yeah. right. The yeah.
1: issue comes when you have a conflict when what the employer is doing is restricting or damaging the rights or liberties of a Tennessee gotcha. employee.
0: Okay, so that was just a side note. Yeah. I get that question a lot.
1: No, it's a good point, and and they're doing it all the time. This is. I got a, a note from a friend of mine. I was a percussion major in college, undergrad, 35 years ago. I have a friend, and I that was it. When undergrad, I, I switched. Can you still play drums? <clears throat> Depends who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, percussion then went to I graduated with a graduate music degree degree in um, commercial music from Berkeley College of Music. But while I was first two years at Temple as a classical percussionist, I have a friend who's been in the orchestral business um, that went to school with me and he followed that career and he's been in that career for 30 30 years. He had a friend in the orchestral business who has lost work because of these jab requirements and um, he's come alive in this process. He's really realized the failure of the whole system and how everything that they're trying to require of him is not only unconstitutional and inhumane, but he's also, uh, realized how dangerous the toxins are that they're trying to jab him with. And he's like, I'm not going to put my life or my family at risk. But in the dialogue that we had, the only place I would say he has not yet arrived is that he can't understand why common sense doesn't work. He's like, it's all out there. Right. And this is what people need to understand too, because this is worldview driven. <clears throat> there is a, there's a goal. Obviously, there's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of power involved. And somebody said to me, Kevin, why don't you give these people the benefit of the doubt? You know, why don't you think they're telling you the truth? And I said, because in a world in which you can make a ton of money and you can a- obtain a ton of power, what reason do we have to believe that anyone would tell us the truth? Mm. Right? You, you, you're motivated to lie by money and power. Why should we expect them to tell the truth? We should start off with the premise that they're lying to us and get them to prove to us that they're telling the truth. And he hadn't come to that point yet, and I think a lot of people are not there yet, but we need to come to it quickly if our liberty is going to
2: matter. Hmm. That's good. I trust no one. Uh, They're all liars.
0: (laughs) Well, that makes me feel good.
1: (laughs) Hey, the Bible tells us that no one deserves the benefit of the doubt apart from Christ, right? From Genesis through Romans and everywhere in between and beyond Romans. Well, nobody else
0: is perfect, so that makes sense. Yeah,
1: so why are we giving anybody the benefit of the doubt? We mm-hmm. should always start with the suspicion that every inclination of the hearts except of man that, is always evil, all the time. So, except that,
0: how does that play into innocent until proven guilty?
1: Remember, that's an American legal construct, not a biblical construct.
0: Okay, I'd, we're going to go really long if we dive into <laughs> yeah, <this. yeah>, yeah, <laughs> that. That'd, that'd be we great. We might want to move
1: on from that. <laughs> that would be. I would love that for a future episode. All right, that'd we'll, be come, fun we'll come fun conversation
0: because that, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So the second the, the second thing that kind of was a common thread between what people wanted to hear about was the specific question was how do people get involved with what's going on? Like what we're doing in Tennessee stands or what just what's going on in Tennessee, but without having to run for office, like that seems to be, you know, like that's a big push is like, we need to fill seats in public offices with like-minded people. But if that's not something you're either gifted with or don't feel called to, How else can you get involved? What else can we
1: do? Well, the first thing we need to remember is that there's coming a point in time, I think, when elections will not matter in America. Mm. Everything you see the left doing and you see not enough resistance by the right, and I talk about the right structurally, Republicans, we have to face the reality that for reasons beyond our control, there's going to come a point where elections won't matter. Uh, We saw that in a presidential election in 2020. Uh, we're seeing every effort being made by uh, the Senate to bust the filibuster so that they can have their ability to institute fraud nationally for federal elections, and then you'll see it trickle down to state elections. So while we should vote for people that we believe will carry forth our values at this time, that can only be one course of action. We must be preparing for the fact that we're going to be living in a society thats that we're ruled by men and women that we've not chosen but there's, for the history of the world, there have been governments over people that have not been chosen. You know, we're very unique. In Those America. don't usually end well. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> but the manner in which you live in that society is different. And the way we approach liberties, liberty doesn't change, right? Liberty is a gift of God, regardless of whether you live under a totalitarian regime or in a um, republic like America, but structurally not where we are now. But that doesn't change who we are. It doesn't change the fact that our rights have come from God. So the question is, how do we respond? And this is why I said earlier, we need to look to those who have advanced liberty in spite of totalitarian regimes. And that takes a lot more courage. There's a lot more death. There's a lot more—and I'm not talking about death from revolution, by the way. It's really important to make clear. What we're doing is defending liberty. When you defend liberty, you speak the truth and somebody takes you out. That's the death that I'm talking about, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, lest anyone accuse us of, of uh, fomenting rebel- rebellion. That's not what we're doing. We're talking about speaking the truth, but the truth is an affront to man. It's always a threat to power. And because of that, speaking the truth in a society that is becoming less and less about liberty is, is always going to be dangerous business. But we must have the courage to do that, especially, John, as you say, if we care about our children and our children's children. I've got my first grandchild coming on the way. That's that's really important to me. Mm-hmm. That's a start. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, and just from a from a practical standpoint, I mean, the the fact is we have to get used to having these conversations in the public square again. I mean, this whole, you know, we don't talk about politics and religion that that culture has taught us now for too long. Uh, that that just has to go away. That wasn't the way this country was founded, and it's not the way uh, we ought to live in it. Uh, right. It 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 shirks our responsibilities to have those meaningful conversations, and it hands off that power uh, to folks that we have realized now, I hope, <laughs> that we don't want to hand that power off to. So mm-hmm. people need to be willing to say the hard things. We need to be willing, you know, people joke about, oh, I'm going home for Thanksgiving. I'm going home for Christmas. It's going to be a lot of fun. You know, I'm I'm going to give them a bottle of Trump wine or I'm going to wear my, you know, hat or, you know, I'm, I'm going to stir the pot like, like it, you know, what I'm saying is it's made in jest as if that's really a thing you ought not to do. Right. The point is, no. That's exactly what we should be doing. When we gather, we should be talking about the hard things. We should be trying to discern with each other how we respond to the things around us. So, I, I just think it's something we have to get. We have to get rid of this discomfort.
0: Conversations between neighbors about politics. I'm old, I'm young enough, whatever you want to put that to remember that happening as a kid with my parents, like that. That was a thing. You you were able to discuss with each other and have a civil conversation.
1: And that's because in America of your parents' generation and my parents' generation, and even earlier in my life, at least between Democrats and Republicans, they both loved America, right? They might have had a different strategy. On how, yeah. yeah. But, but they both at their core, I mean, John F. Kennedy today would be more conservative than 90% of the Republicans. 100%. Especially when it comes to um, national affairs and protecting our nation against foreign adversaries. The reason that we can't have those conversations effectively today is because the enemy is in our midst. The enemy isn't across the sea. Well, the enemy is across seas, but that isn't the only place the enemy exists. The enemy is in our midst, and they have declared us, those who love America and all of America's traditional values, they've declared us to be the enemies. By the way, did you see that? Today, or yesterday, a story came out about the U.S. Army is actually focusing its attention on um, a little exercise in North Carolina or South Carolina. North, this yeah. North
2: Carolina. Yeah. In 20-some-odd in, uh, counties.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. As if the primary problem is an insurrection that they need to stop, and, that, and that's where all their focus is, making us the enemy. That tells you where we are today and who, who the enemy is. I want to say something that Gary, or to Gary's point, the reason, by the way, that people try to discourage you from talking about politics and religion in those environments, first of all, they're the same thing because their worldview, it's, it's where, where's your starting point, right, for all things. Second of all, the very question of whether or not you can talk about politics and religion in this event is an attempt to shut down those important discussions. They'll talk about them all day long. In fact, the left, if there's one lesson we can take from the left... It's how they've been effective without using law, right? I mean, the left has been out of, up until recently, they've been out of power for for a very, very long time. Right. How have they gotten to where they've gotten? But by disregarding everything about our culture, disregarding the law and making the moral argument. Now, it was it's an immoral argument, right? Their, their morality is based on a lie, but it's a moral argument in the sense that it's not based on tax policy or, um, you know, all the superficial stuff that Republicans have, have devoted themselves to. The left has always gone to the core issue, what drives people in society, and this is why they've won the argument. In the same way, we have to take that same approach in resisting what is not law, in resisting temporary decrees, decrees from temporary masters that are actually lawless, but we must take the same approach and get to the heart of the matter and not—if somebody passes some piece of paper— that says you can't do something that God has given you the right to. You can't speak freely your mind or you're going to be discriminated against or can't have a job or you're going to go to jail. That's principally wrong as a human being created in the image of God. So we must tackle that at the core as that kind of issue and not say, well, the law says we can't do it. It's like, no, that wasn't a law. It's somebody calling it a law, but that wasn't a law. Hmm. Yeah. Well, sorry. I get I thought about these issues I start rolling. No, you're good. good. You're
0: good. I don't know if we directly answered the question, but I'm sure we'll answer the question more and more as we go. Yeah, for sure. All right. Shall we?
2: Yes. I'm ready for this this new segment. Let's do our, <laughs> let's do our
0: uh, week, weekly? I have a feeling
2: it's going to be my favorite. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is going to be in the- Weekly in, in, segment. Oh, yeah.
0: Kevin?
1: All right.
2: Would
0: you like to do the honors? What are we calling it?
1: Things I would never do as governor. All right. Things I would never do as governor. In no particular order. Okay. I've had, I have so many of these, so I don't know how, how far we want to go each week. I've got like weeks worth of material. I mean, when you're a state executive, it gives you the opportunity to create quite a long we'll list here. We'll do the first three. All right. Number one, I would never take a meeting with Bill Gates.
2: Hmm. Uh, good rule. Yep. I like that one.
1: By the way, do we want to have a discussion between each one of these or just kind of roll through them?
2: I mean, I
0: mean that I one kind of speaks for itself. <laughs> I, I mean, is, does, of...
2: does anyone
1: question that?
2: I mean, <laughs> obviously our executive questions that. But all right,
1: is... I think you'll like this one. Okay, I would not hire or appoint bad advisors, and then allow my supporters to excuse or justify my poor decisions as the fault of the advisors I have
2: chosen. Mm. Mm, that's good. You mean you, you mean that you would take responsibility for your own actions. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the governor's just a, uh, he's a nice guy, Gary. You know, he's just, he's just got really bad people around him. Yeah. Really? Is that still the excuse? Mm. That's still what we're going with? I like that one. That's one of my favorites so far.
1: Okay, I've got I've got a whole section on CRT and education stuff. So, <clears throat> yeah,
2: one, um, one more for today. Let's not exhaust yes, these. So, exactly, we've got plenty of time.
1: So let me come back to that. Um, Let's get somebody who's a uh,
0: uh, expert in CRT to get be here when we do those.
1: Oh, that'd be great. Okay, I mean, How about this one? These sort of go hand in hand. I might do two together, and then we'll be done. I would not encourage resettlement of foreign nationals in Tennessee without thorough vetting, nor would I remain passive while the federal government dumps thousands of those unvetted foreign nationals in Tennessee
2: neighborhoods. Yep. Seems seems reasonable.
0: Airplanes landing at 3 o'clock in the morning? I
2: don't know what's uh, happening. I, I don't know. And by the way— Oh,
0: look, Squirrel.
2: Dro- dropping them <laughs> off at a building that you previously approved for refugee resettlement? Yeah. Oh, but you don't You don't know anything about this. No. Well, I don't know what happened. Well, I don't know. I think that's good for this week. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to stop
1: there. <laughs> I've got many more where that came from.
0: Uh, we try to keep these episodes at 30 minutes,
1: but I don't know that it's possible. No, we just much. keep going. Doesn't Joe Rogan have like a three hour? So as long as we stay like under an hour, I think we're... Yeah.
0: Speaking of Joe Rogan, he's always welcome to come on this podcast whenever that's he wants. That's right. So open invitation. Open invitation. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, episode two in the books. Till next week, right?
1: Thank you, John. Thank you, Gary.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Pleasure as always. Keep the freedom out there.
0: Cheers to the future. Thank you for listening to the Freedom Matters podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit tennesseestands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. And remember, as revolutionary Thomas Paine once stated, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigues of supporting it.